Now Aurier looping the ball over the top. Bale, good-looking ball! And it's past Aaron Ramsdale. And Gareth Bale, one of the best players on the planet, has teased the ball past Aaron Ramsdale and in. Sheffield United couldn't hold on. It's been pretty relentless from the start of the game. And Gareth Bale gets his 12th goal of the season. A deft finish as Tottenham Hotspur take the lead. Spurs 1, Sheffield United 0. Through the middle it goes to Bale. Bale now driving to the edge of the penalty area here's a chance and here is the second goal Gareth Bale gets his second of the match he wheels away with his arms out wide with his trademark celebration after a rasping finish as Spurs are devastating on the counter-attack it's Tottenham Hotspur 2 Sheffield United 0 Ford it goes with the outside of his right boot slaloming infield Aurier onto Bale on a hat-trick and he has taken that chance Gareth Bale scores a hat-trick against Sheffield United. Aaron Ramsdale couldn't do anything about that low rocket of a shot into his bottom corner. It's all about Bale. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Okay, Jeff, an extraordinary week, but let's start with your trivia question. Okay, simple one this week. Which manager has won the most promotions in English football? Don't care which division, but one promotion the most times. And just to help you out, it's not something from before the war. The first promotion this manager got was in the 1980s. All right, let's start with almost unprecedented, really. Manchester United against Liverpool on Sunday was postponed to be played another day because of fans breaking in, getting into the stadium and protesting in the main against the Glaziers, the owners. Yes, getting into the stadium, I think, is is the key. There were a number of the people involved who said that gates were opened for them by Manchester United. And if that is true, then Manchester United should face a very, very, very high fine and a big points deduction, if it's true. Yeah, what happened basically was a lot of fans gathered outside to protest the owners, quite a common scene these days. And then around, they are saying, around 200 of them got into the stadium, uh, were on the pitch and surrounding areas. Bottles were thrown, flares were let off. There were a couple of policemen injured in the melee trying to get the fans out of the stadium to allow the ground to become safe for the players to come on their coaches to play the game. Uh, There were also protests against the hotels where the teams were staying making it impossible for the team to actually get to the stadium so the game was delayed and then postponed. The fans were protesting against the Glaziers, against the ownership of the club and the way it's been run because fans feel disenfranchised. Yeah, um, I'm I'm not sure they they should feel disenfranchised. Uh, They're certainly not being listened to and, and I think that is wrong because the Football Association and the Premier League should be listening to fans and after the ESL breakaway attempt two weeks ago. Newspapers were full of rubbish from the FA and EPL saying, oh yes, we must listen to fans more, oh yes, how wonderful it is. And uh, on Monday we had the EPL saying, oh, this is disgraceful them doing it because there are forums available for fans. And yet, 16 years ago, when the Glazers took over and the fans did protest then, and the Premier League and the FA both had the right and the opportunity to refuse the takeover, they all said, oh, these people are ignorant, they don't know what they're talking about, this is wonderful, this is a, this is an example of the best of capital capitalism and we should we should welcome this this business approach well see where your business approach got you 
The Glazers have taken a billion pounds out of the, out of Manchester United, and they didn't pay a penny for it. And also, it kind of it allows the powers that be, the very few people that run the world, a chance to point in the, the direction of the fans. Uh, a small minority of whom did do damage while they were within Man United territory, I suppose. It gives them a chance to point and say, look what happens when you give them power. Look what happens when you allow people to protest. And it gives a bad image to some of the fans. So I'm not sure if that protest helped the cause of fan power or fans being allowed to have a say or gave the powers that be the opportunity to point fingers and call them thugs and hooligans. Yeah, I think it's, it's very much the latter. And you read what EPL and FA are saying this week and it's very much the latter. What is tending to go ignore is the, the the statement by the the head of the Manchester United Supporters Trust, which is the most most formal, most conservative of those organisations, who said the purpose the purpose of the protest was to post, get the match postponed. So, if you're calling for points deductions for Manchester United, well, actually, there is a case to answer there. Yes, if that was the purpose, then it's a, kind of makes it, it backfire on them because their own team will get points deducted. Does it highlight the cause that they're trying to bring to the for or not that fans should have more say if people broke into Marks and Spencers to demonstrate against higher prices would they would they be given the same sort of vitriol that the Man United fans have or, or would would they be you know hailed as some kind of heroes for making the point both sort of I suppose broke into private property that is the argument um, if the Manchester United fans did in fact break in but if um if Manchester United staff open the gates and let them in, then it's a very, very different thing. And it really does look like that's what happened. If they didn't want people getting in, they could have stopped them. And they didn't stop them, did they? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously, you're assuming that maybe Man United, the actual organisation, were aware of it. Or it could have been stewards, because don't forget, stewards, people that you know run the gates or run the match day, are also human beings who live in Manchester, who are Manchester United fans. They're not some sort of elite group of highly trained professionals. They are people employed by the club who might have mates who were part of the protest. And they know, I'll tell you what, I'll leave the gate open. Maybe that is nothing to do with Manchester United, the business, but the people they employ. In which case, Manchester United are 100% liable. That's that's the law. So, you know, something your employer employee does, you do. That's the law. So in that case, if, you know, if one of their employees has broken the law or allowed a demonstration or illegal demonstration or criminal damage to be done, then United are liable because they, they were working for them at the time. But let's look at what was the meaning of the protest and did it have any effect? Roy Keane said they've been ignored for 16 years under the Glazers. Every time they've been to these forums, they've been to meetings with the owners, every time they've made their opinions felt, nobody's been listened to. He said, you should expect more of this until something changes. Yes, but nothing will change and I cannot see how anything could possibly change. As soon as you allow football clubs to incorporate as limited companies, the the governing rules are from that point on, the companies acts they are limited companies and they have to comply with that set of rules the fact that they're football clubs is irrelevant now and i i cannot see any way of moving towards this german model of 50 percent plus one share we are where we are you can't pass retrospective law maybe if um, if there was a, a labor government they could expropriate the assets or nationalize the clubs but no tory government's going to do it there is nothing that can be done about this no legally uh, it all 
the ownership of all the top clubs or all clubs in general is completely part of the capitalist model and there's nothing wrong with it they're running a business they're trying to run it for profit whether that upsets their customers who are free to go elsewhere or not is of no concern to the Glazers or ENIC at Tottenham or or Fenway at Liverpool or Cronkite at Arsenal they have have no concern what their fans actually think Uh, obviously they want footfall they want customers but their customers aren't the ones that pay the 30 quid every week for the match day ticket it's a lot wider than that and they run their businesses in order to make a profit and take money out of it end of story and that fits with the the model of capitalism etc why would the government or anybody else want legal changes so fans protesting may and hopefully will get a slight change in shall we say attitude of the owners or the way they communicate with fans perhaps it'll change their culture a little bit but it won't stop them owning it and it won't stop anybody else coming in to buy it well the, the government could change the law and and football authorities could change their rules from now on to say highly leveraged buyouts are, are will not be allowed in the future but you can't make it retrospective and you know all the people were talking a lot of rubbish and the newspapers are still pushing this that what punishment should the six who want to join the European Super League what punishment should they have well there can be no punishment because they broke no rules all that is possible to do now is to change the rules to stop this happening in the future which Italy has already done we had a pathetic statement in the last two days from FA and EPL saying oh we're looking into making this difficult or impossible to happen in the future but Italy's already done it why, why, what takes so long it's a very very simple thing to do just write a, write a rule into your existing rule books to say if you join together with other people to set up a a new breakaway league then you will be relegated kicked out points deduction 100 million dollar fine something like that italy's done it already so why is the epl talking about maybe doing it because it doesn't want to and it won't yes it doesn't want to upset any of the big clubs the tail wags the dog as it were and they're, they're very very wary of of offending these big clubs in one way or another so they're very much a slave to the clubs in that sense the clubs have the power but in Italy as you say they've gone in said no that's it if you do that this is what happens and in Italy they have taken action against clubs clubs who have been corrupt and just quite blatantly immediately relegated them and put them down a division or two yeah they did that with Juventus most recently The, the, the biggest club Juventus have got the place in Italy that Manchester United have in in England and does anybody believe that if Manchester United were found guilty of doing what Juventus have been in, that they would have been relegated? No way. The people who run the FA and the EPL are Manchester United supporters, quite openly so. They don't make any attempt to deny it and they will do anything they can to protect them. Look at Italy. We all think, oh, Italy and we think corruption. Well, they're, they're doing far more than the English game is doing in the past and now. Going back to and kind of rounding off, I suppose, the fan protest. I mean, it's been an extraordinary year, an unprecedented year, what with COVID and not being allowed to go out and no fans in the stadium perhaps it's something to do with that as well as the Super League had fans been allowed in stadiums as normal these protests that we've had would have been during games with people actually at the games yeah we would have had the the typical football fan protest okay we'll all meet in the pub that we usually meet in on a Saturday and we'll walk down the street with banners singing you know chanting slogans as we usually do every Saturday and we'll go to the same football match that we usually do every Saturday and 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 we'll pay the Glazers the money yeah I'm you know I'm sure the Glazers are terrified about this yeah these threats they have like you know we'll all walk out in the 58th minute that's like doing 
being the anti-runner from a restaurant, paying for the meal, but but not eating it <laughs> and expecting the restaurant to be upset. It doesn't work. Um, but these protests would have probably gone ahead during the match and nobody would have been angry about them, shall we say, breaking in or trespassing, causing damage, because it would have been a normal run-of-the-mill thing. It just looks very unusual because the stadium was supposed to be empty. Will it have any effect, though? No, I think I think it'll have very little effect, to be quite honest. One thing to sort of may- maybe finish off with is have a look at the pictures of those those um, protesters how many of them were wearing Manchester United shirts which they bought from the Glazers at 50 quid a pop yeah I suppose they'd argue that they've got no choice and that's part of it but you can get them online a lot cheaper <laughs> um, yeah there's a, obviously it's a lot of hypocrisy around and everything and some of those some of those fans weren't there to protest some of those fans would have a day out one of the funnier things to go around the the web yesterday was this slogan free cardboard protest signed when you spend over 50 pounds in the megastore signed Jay Glazer and this time at least the fans you know didn't buy a ticket before they went and protested and I suppose that's what's pissed everybody off so much whether there'll be a difference or not we'll see and whether other fans will try to follow suit maybe they've started a precedent and one of those clubs that are organising a protest outside the ground at the next home match I believe is the Woolwich Wanderers uh, and I suppose the Cronkies who own Arsenal are archetypical of these big bad capitalist fat cats owners they probably more than any other owner have, have caused a lot of ire and anger among their fans and there is this Daniel Eck who owns Spotify uh, well co-founder of Spotify who's made his intentions clear that he's an Arsenal fan and he if Arsenal was for sale he would buy it whether he will or not we don't know the Cronkies have said it's not for sale yeah, I, I, I found out the Times the other day and, and I said um, if the Queen would sell the crown jewels I'll buy them but but they didn't make the newspapers strangely yeah I mean it's, it's a complete hypothetical isn't it however the Cronkies have been the sort of bad guys of football for a long time and yet Arsenal under them were qualifying for the Champions League every year of course under the groundsman as we like to call the uh, the Woolwich manager uh, they've slumped quite considerably since then but the Cronkies aren't going to sell Daniel Ek probably isn't going to buy them and nothing at Arsenal will change but the fans are revolting although Arsenal fans have always been revolting I think you probably had to get that last one in, yes, okay. I think there are a number of things which come out of this Daniel Ek thing. The first is is um, beware of uh, of thinking that the next mega-rich person who comes in will be better than the last one, because there is no evidence that they ever are, to be quite honest. Not all owners are as good for the club as Abramovich has been for Chelsea. He is a very rare case indeed, and Sheikh Mansour at City. So there's two very rare cases there. And Daniel Ek, um, how do you go about buying a company? Usually, you keep it very, very secret. Everybody involved signs legally binding non-disclosure agreements to keep it to keep it secret. Who knew about Sheikh Mansour buying Manchester City before it was announced as a done deal? Nobody. Because when you're serious about this, you keep it very quiet. Because making it public alters the price considerably, and it makes it much, much harder to do the deal. Daniel Ek is flying a kite, and I think there is probably there is very little evidence that he has the money. He is said to be worth for four billion maybe a bit more but being worth something and having money are two very very different things that four billion is the value of his, the supposed value of his shares in his company a company that has never ever made a profit and is forecast not to make a profit in the forthcoming years so I do not believe that Eck has the money and I don't believe he has the access to the money maybe him going public like this was a way to try and drum up the money 
money but it's going to be very expensive money doing it that way so I think it's a non-starter it won't happen yes maybe he's trying to get investors because um, the Woolwich for him are too expensive we shall move on and have a look at all the games that have happened in the last week because we have some controversies we have some interesting stuff going on uh, the first game uh, in the last round of games was uh, Southampton who were down to 10 men I think maybe the way to say it is they held Leicester high-flying Leicester to a draw yeah and the tackle that Vestergaard was sent off for was well it wasn't a red card I don't think it was even a yellow card he clearly got the ball about a yard and a half before he hit Vardy Vardy didn't act Vardy was caught in the leg it was a natural follow-through just like Balbuena the, w- the week before and he should not have been sent off and that just destroyed the match and Southampton did extremely well to come away with a point from that game it did raise a lot of questions about Leicester and about their their desire to actually win and their ability to do it because playing against 10 men they never at any point exploited the one man advantage that's interesting because Southampton have been particularly exploitable of late and a pretty weak team they have been bad and haven't been able to get through matches and yet there they were being very strong against Leicester or Leicester being weak against them I mean I'm hoping that Leicester aren't as strong as they think they are have shown to be Tottenham have got them last day of the season we're still dreaming of a top four and we would like Leicester to lose all their next games they have Newcastle Manchester United Chelsea and Tottenham to play so it's quite possible I th- I, I predict they'll get four points from those four games so one win and one draw so it's possible I think Leicester could miss out completely on Champions League well that's exactly what happened last season they ended up finishing fifth when they really should have been in the top four and missed out as I remember just in the last few days of the season let's hope so make it interesting uh, although you've got to give credit to Leicester not one of the big six no they're an extremely well run club from, from top to bottom and they've got a very very good manager in in Brendan who you know as I very often say he's not quite as good as he thinks he is but he is very good but he is very good and I think he was he would have been extremely disappointed by that performance because 10 versus 11 and it looked like 11 versus 11 and, and maybe praise Hasenhuttle the way he set them up didn't it wasn't 10 players sitting back trying to defend it was actually a football match for the whole time yeah regarding Leicester possibly in years to come they will be considered one of the big six I watched a very briefly little video on Facebook I think it was of the changing faces of the big six since the Premier League started and in the first two or three years clubs like Aston Villa Leeds and Derby were all considered one of the big six so that has changed over the years Uh, maybe Leicester will become one of those yeah, one, one of the um, interesting things that got thrown up last week was someone had had calculated who would have won the Premier League if the results of the self-styled Big Six had been removed from every season. So remove all their points, their goals for, goals against. So the, the, league, the league tables as if those didn't exist. And the winners would have been Norwich, Newcastle, Blackburn, Aston Villa. I'm doing this since the start of the Premier League, by the way. Blackburn, Ipswich. Leeds, Villa, Fulham, believe it or not, would have won in 2010-11. Everton would have won a lot. Southampton in 2014-15. Ever- uh, Leicester, obviously, the year they did win it. Burnley would have won in 2017-18. Watford, the following year and Leicester last year would have had 11 winners in that time that's incredible especially the Watford would have won it as you said in 1819 and actually in 1920 got relegated <laughs> very strange uh, set of circumstances should the, the big six not have existed basically during the Premier League era however they do and they did and one of them uh, was playing against Crystal Palace away Crystal Palace nil, Manchester City 2 the only thing you can say about that is routine very very much routine wasn't it and the, the only valid question before the match was how 
how many will City score and after the match you thought well they could have got more if they really wanted to it was absolutely regulation win a solid result for Brighton against Leeds Brighton 2 Leeds 0 one was a penalty the other one Danny Welbeck on the score sheet again for Brighton yeah, and a wonderful Cruyff turn in the penalty area to set up that shot and he hit it really hard with his left with his left goalkeeper couldn't keep that out it was a, a, a brilliant goal and it just makes you I, I just went away from that feeling sad that he can't stay fit long enough to do that enough in a season but what a player when he does yes I'm, I'm the same I've always liked Danny Welbeck and felt kind of like you there sad that it never turned into anything massive because he definitely got the talent to have been up there with the Harry Canes of this world um, but just unfortunately prone to injury but yeah that was absolutely brilliant from him Brighton 2 leads nil Chelsea 2 Fulham nil again as predicted the same comments from the City Palace match apply it was a regulation win they they cruised through it to the, they were never in any danger of you know losing or even conceding to be quite honest and then we've got a few games that were very interesting Everton one Aston Villa two. Let me tell our listeners why that is interesting. Apart from on this podcast, Jeff here predicted Everton one Aston Villa two in a sort of sweepstake we've got in the local bar from where we do our live broadcast for ninety three point six Global Radio. We do a football show every Saturday afternoon, and there's thirty people involved in a league there, and we all predict six games every week. One of them was Everton against Villa. Of the thirty people involved in the predictions, not one person even had Villa down to win let alone to win 2-1. Jeff was there on his own and even got the correct score. Yeah, as, as, as I tried explaining to uh, to everybody on Saturday, it was the only result that was possible. Everton are shocking. They're shockingly bad. The attitude of their players is appalling. And Villa have been incredibly unlucky in a lot of games this season. Their attitude is exactly the opposite. Every player gives everything on the pitch and tries to do their best, tries to win the game. And because of the, the you'd have to say, the, the quality of the players they've got doesn't always work but I thought with that against the pathetic performances that Everton have put up they were going to win so the question was well are there going to be a lot of goals no so they've got to win by one goal so 2-1 and to me I, I said to our friend Kirk the writer I said it's nailed on oh no 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 he said oh, well there you go yep absolutely right and it's, that's exactly what you said before the game on this podcast on the radio show it's on record it wasn't just a lucky prediction it was thought out on Sunday we had a few interesting games and one that was postponed uh, one disappointing for me, having had quite a decent run lately, Newcastle nil, Woolwich Wanderers 2. I suppose what stands out from that game is Aubameyang on his first game back um, scores, having recovered from malaria. Yeah, and he scored because he was played in an inside forward position, which is where he's always got all his goals from, instead of playing left wing. So it's only taken the groundsman a year and a half to work that out, so well done him. Uh, Aubameyang looks very, very dangerous because he's a great player. Yeah, it was a bit, bit disappointing that they they got the win but it was a win they deserved they played better than the Newcastle the big question from that match is where the hell was the Newcastle team that played against West Ham what happened to them they were appalling they were dreadful it's very common you'll hear people saying they were a yard short well they were half a yard short in their heads and half a yard short in their in their feet it was just like they'd never met I, I don't quite understand what was happening there you know and I wish that team had played West Ham two weeks ago but they didn't. Yes, it is often the way uh, that you say, well, we beat them, why couldn't you? The same 11 can turn out week after week and be completely different. It just it depends, I suppose. But Newcastle nil, the Woolwich 2, disappointing result there. Man United against Liverpool, the game everybody was looking forward to with expectation, I suppose. Match postponed, depends how you look at it. 
was it the disenfranchised trying to make their opinions felt or was it just a bunch of people trying to have a bit of fun and uh, smash up stuff on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon? But Man United, Liverpool postponed, I suppose. We'll talk about the implications of that. Well, the, the, the chairman of Manchester United Supporters Trust said the purpose of the protest was to get the match postponed. That changes the race for the Champions League considerably because that match has to be replayed and depending on the timing will depend on the strength of the team Manchester United put out, bearing in mind it's going to come round about the time that they're playing in will play in the Europa League final. Will Manchester United put out the same strength team then that they would have done or in fact we're going to on Saturday? It will affect that top four. Yeah, well probably by this time next week for the next podcast we'll know when that game is going to be. On Sunday though for me, a very enjoyable evening watching Tottenham beat Sheffield United. Already relegated, everybody is saying it's only Sheffield United. But Ryan Mason did what I suppose all supporters have wanted him to do all wanted Tottenham to do all season. He put out an attacking team. It was quite adventurous in the sense that Deli Alley was uh, on from the very start and played for quite a while instead of Lucas Moura. But he had Bale. Kane and Son up front and it's what Tottenham fans have wanted I think it does prove because Bale played pretty much the entire game I think and, and scored an incredible hat-trick and that some you know the two of those three goals were pretty sensationally taken but it has now proved that Mourinho saying he has to manage every game with Bale and didn't want to risk him was by and large a load of old toot because Bale when allowed to play is Bale and whether it's Sheffield United or not he scored a, a great hat-trick and put in a great contribution and it now gives me a little bit of a sick feeling in my stomach that we've had all season to utilise him like that and we've wasted the opportunity. Yeah, I agree with most of that. But you do have to say it was Sheffield United and there aren't many teams that are going to allow Tottenham the space in midfield that they had in that match. But it was great to see Bale getting that hat-trick and two of them were just wonderful goals. You've got to hold your hand up and say, yeah, he did, did extremely well. Deli Ali played with you know 100% of effort and he played with a smile on his face like he was enjoying himself again and that was nice to see but they've got some work to do on the training field between Kane, Deli Ali and Son because they got in each other's way far too much. That can be sorted out on the training pitch. It's not, you know, it's it's not a sort of deal breaker if you like, but they've got to do it. Yeah, I was pleased to see Delhi, as you say, a big smile on his face, as he had at the start of the se- uh, season when he was Mourinho's favourite son, uh, which faded very quickly. But he, he was off pace a little bit. He kept giving the ball away, almost uh, get, uh, gifted Sheffield United a chance to score. Uh, McGoldrick, I think it is for Sheffield United, had quite a good game considering he was isolated, and Delhi Ali did help him a couple of times he was a bit late to a couple of tackles a bit late uh, a bit inaccurate with some of his passes but I think that's just because he's not match fit he's hardly played all season and he's fitting into a team he's not played with so give him a chance and he was trying too hard yeah. which is something that happens when you're not in the team all the time yeah I mean a lot of Tottenham fans were delighted by his work rate not by the result of the work rate but on the other hand it, not exactly professional to try too hard because he was making too many mistakes as he was desperate to be part of the scoring and part of the winning team however it was only Sheffield United however etc but Gareth Bale did make a couple of comments before the game he kind of made a veiled comment about Mourinho without even mentioning him he was asked how is life under Ryan Mason and he said we're getting forward a lot more we're an attacking team and we're playing the Tottenham way now that's a veiled thing about Mourinho secondly after the game he was asked pretty much the same question and if he'd enjoyed the game and he said when I'm playing 
I enjoy I enjoy foot my football, and when I'm enjoying my football and playing, I play well. Uh, again, a, a sort of pointed thing about if he'd have given me a chance, I might have made a bigger contribution. But he has scored something like 14 goals for Tottenham this season. Yeah, I mean, regarding his comments, the only thing you can say is, what a shock. What a shock that somebody who's feeling good and confident and yeah. happy would, would play well. Who'd have thought that? Obviously not Mourinho, but, you know, of the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, I kind of fell for the Mourinho thing about we've got to manage Gareth Bale, we've got to be careful with him. I now really do think he just didn't fancy him as a player. Why Ryan Mason didn't play him more against Man City in the cup final is beyond me because he's been gushing about Gareth Bale all week and when asked, you know, are you, are you going to play him more? He said, you know, you're talking about a world-class player here. We need him. And then he was asked, will he stay? Well, will he stay has got, you know, Mason will have no say in that that discussion at all. He wants him to stay, but whether he will or not is, is definitely above his pay grade. If only Mason had sent that team out against City in the League Cup final. Okay, I I think Tottenham would have lost 3-1 but it would have been a game of football everyone would have talked about it yeah they you know there was this was good that was good that was great it was an enjoyable match not the procession that it actually turned into yes I don't think with all due respect Ryan Mason is a very young manager you know he's only managed two three games three games now so I don't think it was tactical that he knew as everybody did deep down that Man City no matter what team Tottenham put out would beat them maybe he didn't want them to get beaten badly because he's focusing on the next as it was then the next five games in the league and didn't want them going into the Sheffield United game with their heads hung low feeling you know we got beaten 4-0 maybe that was it but that would sound a little bit too clever and convoluted there there is an expression in in football and cricket which is don't die wondering don't die wondering what could have happened if you'd been more bold no be bold and if the opposition are better than you you shake hands you hold your hands up and say okay fair play they were better alright well it's a discussion for another time obviously Ryan Mason is not up for the job for Tottenham he's not up to it yet uh, it could be a very decent manager in the making, though. Um, he needs to go back probably to the development squad or to the, the second eleven or whatever, but I think he should m- very much be involved uh, with whoever comes in uh, because he's definitely a Tottenham man. He says the right things, and if that was his team on Sunday, and according to Gareth Bell and everybody else, they are now playing the attacking Tottenham way, and they all did have smiles on their faces, then well done, Ryan Mason. He, but he will not get the job further, um, I don't think. Yeah, well, talking about Mason not getting the Tottenham job who does because we were talking up Ten Hag this time last yeah. week and Ten Hag decided he'd actually like to stay managing a team that's in the Champions League so <laughs> so <laughs> Obviously, that was not not Tottenham or the Wanderers. Who for Tottenham? Well, it's getting the the field is getting narrower and narrower. We've lost Nagelsmann, we've lost Ten Hag. Or you can't lose something you never had. And probably both of them may have very easily turned the job down had they been available and offered it anyway. There is a talk of Randlick, of course, possibility. Out of all the others, you know, they're talking about Scott Parker and Eddie Howe and Graham Potter. None of those are fill me with any great excitement and they're not really big names but look what happened last time we got a big name in yeah exactly but you should be excited about how he's a perfect Tottenham manager he gets his teams playing the way Burrs fans like to think is the Tottenham way he's great with young players he's got a fantastic scouting network for getting players from the lower leagues he's absolutely perfect for Tottenham he is a Tottenham manager and I, I was saying this years ago when he was managing Bournemouth he's a Tottenham manager we need somebody who is going to be of that style and, and this as you say scouting and developing young players is something that I think Tottenham need
speed because there ain't a lot of money about to buy the big stars. Whether he would be somebody that Bale would want to stay and work with would be interesting because we mentioned will Bale stay or go. Two weeks ago, Real Madrid were probably looking at him going, we don't want him back. On Sunday, they were probably getting on the phone to his agent and say, cancel the loan deal. But however, I would like Bale to stay. It just depends on many things, but it depends on what manager comes in. Would he enjoy working under Eddie Howe? Probably he would because Eddie Howe would utilise him because that fits his style of play. Yeah, very much. Um, and if you think about, just think about who just won uh, Serie A in Italy. Inter won, which means Conte won. First time they've won for, what, 11 years, I think? And what Conte's gift is knowing how to make good footballers into winning footballers. That's the thing he does. And I think Howe does the same because the quality of that Bournemouth team was not a Premier League quality team. You went through player by player. You wouldn't. How many of those players would you have in your team? None, basically. You know, they were in the Premier league more than just one year they they did extremely well so the same reason that Conte is was so good for Inter how would be very good for Tottenham maybe it will happen maybe it will happen because the, the field as I say is narrowing Tottenham are saying they're going to take their time and uh, look at it over the summer so we shall see four games to go uh, yesterday your team West Ham were away at Burnley and beat them 2-1. You had Antonio back from injury. Uh, was that the difference? Or was there more differences than just that? Because Burnley were coming off a very big win. Yeah, of, of West Ham's re- remaining games, it was Burnley, Everton, Brighton, West Brom, Southampton. I thought Burnley was the hardest game. And for reasons you just said, they, they've come off some very good performances and a very good win. And they're always difficult to beat anyway. I did predict a 2-1 West Ham win. It wasn't just Antonio. What Moyes did was something that I've been asking and praying and you know, could not understand why he hadn't done all season long. Put Lanzini, Fornells, Ben Rama, Lingard, put them all on the pitch at the same time. And Burnley just couldn't cope with the movement from those players because they are all what I call playground footballers. They don't really have a position. They just play and they want to kick into that goal. And the move, the movement was fantastic and Burnley's defence couldn't cope with it at all. And it should have been 5-1. Um, Antonio missed two pretty much open goals from in- inside the six-yard inside the six yard box Lingard missed a very easy one it could easily have been five and actually at the end West Ham were hanging on which is kind of what they do hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way as Pink Floyd tell us so it was a very well deserved win far and away the better team won should have won by more and I hope he puts the same team out next time well let's have a look and see what next time is as we move into our predictions for the coming games on Friday Leicester play on a Friday again Leicester are at home to Newcastle they have to win that Leicester if they want to remain top four with West Ham pressing and I think they will yeah they must win if they want to stay in the top four and yeah I think they will beat Newcastle yeah. uh, Saturday the early game big one for me Leeds United against Tottenham where there are Leeds there are goals one end or the other or both Tottenham should be confident after that very I think easy display against Sheffield United but it's going to be tough for them at Leeds it's going to be extremely tough before last week's match Leeds had won 14 lost Lost 14, goals for 50, goals against 50. You have no idea what you're going to get with a Leeds match. So you can you can pick any score you like and it's just as likely to happen as any other. I think Leeds will win 2-1. In that case, I will go for Tottenham will win 2-1. Uh, Sheffield United already relegated are at home to Crystal Palace. Both teams, I mean, Sheffield United know what's happened to them next season. Crystal Palace know that they're going to be just below mid-table mediocrity, no matter what happens. Yeah, but they should win, so yeah, they've got a good defence, so they'll win 2-0, Palace. Sounds about right. Manchester City against Chelsea. Uh, if Man City win this, they win the league. 
which they will do at some point. Yeah, I think they're, they're going to win. Um, will Chelsea score against that City defence if Diaz is playing? No. So 1-0 or 2-0. L- let's say 1-0 to City. Well, that is close. See, Liverpool against Southampton. Liverpool, of course, having their goal, having their game cancelled. They should win this and they are, along with West Ham, I suppose I could say Tottenham as well, pushing for a top four, but more likely than Tottenham. Yeah, I, th- I think Liverpool will actually f- win this match, but they'll fall short. So, yeah, they'll, they'll beat Southampton. They've got West Brom, Burnley and Palace to come. So I think they'll draw with Burnley, beat West Brom and beat Palace, get 10 points and just fall short. On Sunday, we've got Wolverhampton Wanderers against Brighton and Hove Albion. Neither team really have to worry about what happens in that one. Yeah, I think... I don't know. 1-1 one, one draw. Uh, then we've got Aston Villa against Manchester United. Uh, Grealish probably still be out with injury. And Man United looking to push for second. I think Manchester United win 2-1. Two, two, All right, another 2-1 for Villa, but the other way around. Uh, and then West Ham, your team, are against a team you described earlier in the podcast as dreadful. West Ham against Everton. Yeah, the, the only light at the end of the tunnel for Everton is that it's an away match for them. And they are, they are much, much better away from home than at home. But they have been quite shocking. Will Ancelotti have managed to put a rocket up them in the meantime? If he has, then it'll be a, a decent game. But I think uh, I think I'll go for a, a West Ham win. We got we'll have Diop in defence, so we stand a chance of conceding a goal. So it'll be two one to West Ham. I think you're probably right. Woolwich Wanderers against West Brom. Well, that's an easy win for the Woolwich, I would imagine. Yeah, it should be a comfortable win, probably 3-0. And that brings us almost back round to today, next week. Fulham against Burnley. Burnley win 2-0. And Fulham relegated, pretty much. Uh, those are our predictions for next week. That's almost all we've got time for. But before we say goodbye, Jeff's trivia question along with its answer. Okay, the question was, which manager has won the most promotions in English football? Irrespective of which division, but the most promotions. And the answer is Neil Warnock. With eight, he got Scarborough, Notts County. Notts County got promoted twice, 1990 and 91. Um, so maybe he got them relegated in the middle. We're not doing net promotions and, and relegations. So it's Scarborough, Notts County, Huddersfield, Plymouth, Sheffield United, QPR and Cardiff in 2018. And he beats, the next one on the list is Dave Bassett. But Bassett only got seven, mostly Wimbledon, but also Sheffield United. So Sheffield United feature with both managers. Maybe they're a yo-yo club. Quite possibly, yes. Uh, We've seen that this last two seasons. Uh, That is all we've got time for. We'll be back next week as we approach the end of the football season. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was Hitting the Bar, the football podcast.